Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the news stories that matter to you. Harder. Older. Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm Julia Hartley Brewer. You're with Talk TV. I'm still joined by a Benedict Spence in the studio. Uh, now, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson is currently giving evidence as part of a two-day hearing of the COVID inquiry. He's already admitted that mistakes were made. He's also apologised. Uh, for those who lost loved ones. He's also insisted the pandemic policies did save lives. Well, joining me right now is Carl Hennigan. He's Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford. Thank you for joining us, Carl. Good afternoon. Good morning. Thank- Sorry good morning. Yeah, no, I'm used, to saying, I'm used to saying good morning and, and, and welcome to talk breakfast. But there we are. Um, Carl, look, I know we're taking you away from watching the inquiry. I know you'll be wanting to do that. Although, you know, you've actually got a proper job unlike like a lot of us pontificating on this. Um, I've got to be honest, the, the first time the first time I turned TV radio on this morning, I started being angry. I imagine I'm going to be angry for the next two days over this. The KC, Hugo Keith asking, the, you know, the usual questions. We've had this apology from Boris Johnson, some protesters, still trying to find out what those protesters, what side of the debate they're on. But um, do you have any hope that we're going to learn anything useful over the next two days? I think what's making you angry, Julia, is a sort of standard political approach. Let's get the apologies out there and then somehow everything that comes beyond that will be okay. I do think we'll learn something about Boris Johnson's mindset and his approach with what we've seen before is people who are against him or distrusted him, called him a shopping trolley, or he said he was bamboozled. So I think he will have to express some way of showing how he understood all of these forces that were against him, if you like, and then made decisions. So I think that will be interesting. Will we learn anything? There may be some gotcha moments that Hugo Keith puts to him. I'm not sure we'll learn something, but I will be listening like many to try and understand what his mindset was, how he made decisions with what was a pretty pro-lockdown force and how he sort of went against that as the pandemic evolved. Well, we've just been talking with my guests in the studio about how actually Boris Johnson sort of falls in the middle often, uh, big criticism from both sides. So people say, you should have locked down sooner, you should have listened to the scientists, uh, you know, you should have done more. And and people sort of on my side of the debate and, and your side of the debate really say, no, you shouldn't have locked down, you should have listened to the science, paid attention, and you should have, t- the science as we now call it, cap T, cap S, um, and, and, you, and you shouldn't, you know, you should have actually stuck with your gut instinct, which is, you know, that actually it's not right for the state to lock people in their homes to try and keep, um, sadly, some people in their 80s and 90s safe. Um, but, but, and he is caught between, I, I, part of me feels a little bit sympathetic to him. And yet, you know, 
He ran for election. He wanted to be prime minister. When you're prime minister, you have to make these choices. And part of the deal of being prime minister is, is the process of how you make choices. Do you, do you listen to your chief scientific advisor, your chief medical officer, or do you listen to your, your aide who's got no scientific background, who runs in after talking to Neil Ferguson and says, oh, oh, I've got some data. We're all going to die. We have to lock down now. You throw everything, all decades of pre-pandemic planning out of the window and you do, and you do something because... Dominic Cummings says so because Beth Rigby and Laura Kunzberg are demanding it at press conferences. Um, or do you do a cost-benefit analysis? Do you explain to the nation why that doesn't work? Do you stick to doing what's right instead of what feels right? And that's the job of leadership, isn't it? Well, I think it's crucial in medicine. You don't do what we think is the right thing to do. We have a process which you're right is based on evidence and data. But the key is in a fast moving pandemic, how do you do that best? What we've seen is it comes down to a very small number of people that was Sunak, Hancock, Gove and Boris. And if you look at all four of them, they called it the quartet. They were on opposing sides of the argument. The key is how do you do that better in a pandemic that reflects what you've said and brings all the issues very rapidly to make more effective policy decisions? It's key we need to do less because we had over 200 policies and that many of them, as we've seen in the inquiry so far, everybody seems to be saying many of them didn't work. But actually key is what works for the decision making, irrespective of the actors and how bad and distrustful they are of each other's, is crucially important for making coherent decisions that are in our best interest. I'm not sure we're even unpicking that yet because I haven't heard a single question that sort of gone, right, just tell me how you made those decisions. Is there a different way that you would want to do it in the future? That just hasn't happened yet. No, indeed. And again, the elephant in the room is constantly is Sweden. I'm amazed by how many questions, and even like newspapers, they go with the big questions that Boris Johnson has to answer. And we know that the KCs have been obsessed with this, asking about, you know, eat out to help out. Like, you know, you, you, do, do, you, do you think this caused, you know, caused extra deaths and your rise in infections? Do you think... And, 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 and but medical advisors, scientific advisors, saying, well I, well, I don't see how it couldn't have. So why are you asking people what they think or what they feel? Look at the data. The data shows there was no increase in infections for many weeks until after the Eat Out to Help Out uh, policy. Um, and, and by the way, that happened across the whole of Western Europe, who didn't have Eat Out to Help Out. There, there seems to be such an obsession with feelings rather than facts. And the only thing that matters is facts when it comes to saving lives, isn't it? So the Eat Out to Help scheme is, is really highlights our belief system and how people want to hone in on one issue. Just remember in July, when hospitality opened up, what we're saying is because infections going down for that month, hospitality was somehow protective. But because in August, as we went back to school, somehow the Eat Out to Help scheme was actually causative. And if you look at the number of infections compared to a scheme that only ran on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, everybody's got collective amnesia about what it was trying to do is in fact, it's minuscule. So its impact probably delayed or increased what was going to happen next by about two to four hours. That's what we're yeah, talking exactly. about here. Yeah. Not as though it's some major suppression strategy. So can I clarify, Carl, is that what you feel? Is that what you think? Or is it what the data tells you you now know? 
That's what the data tells me on 180 million meals that were claimed compared to what the models and the data show is about 6,000 extra infections in the month of August. It's only an association, by the way. And also it shows me places like Cornwall, where they had 11 million meals, there was no increase in infection. But in London, where actually at about 18 million meals, there was some increase. So you actually see these disparity where the evidence and data doesn't make sense. But again, we see that over masks, we see that over everything. And that's the thing. Across the across the board, when you've got direct comparisons, you know, when when say Scotland and Wales had had mask policies, uh, uh, mandated mask policies in indoor spaces and schools and things, and England had dropped them, we actually saw it again. Uh, we actually saw infections increasing in in Scotland and Wales and decreasing uh, in England. Now that may have just been the general the, the general curve and the just the you know it wasn't a correlate a, a smaller correlation than a than a causation, and it was just the general you know root of the virus. But it just shows you. Know, you can look at the evidence to see whether things work or whether they don't. And it is the job of governments, and it's the point of pre-pandemic planning, to do that in advance so that when the crisis hits, when you suddenly get this unknown virus coming from the other side of the world, was it man-made, was it not? You know, you've got a plan in place already. You've got your PPE. You haven't, just, you haven't burnt a load of it in January like they did. You, have, you, know, you, you know what you're going to do and you're ready for it. You've got the facilities and the training for it. That, that was what our governments are supposed to do, civil servants and politicians, and they didn't do it. No, and I think you're right, Julia. You can have all these what you call the elephants in the room, like when people say circuit breakers, you can go and look at Wales and go, well, did it affect what happened next? No, it didn't. You talk about what I call is security, health security. Why haven't we got actually a manufacturer of PPE in this country? Why do we rely on China where it costs us 8 billion or something ridiculous for all of this PPE when we could be making it onshore? For instance, you talked about Sweden, you could talk about Germany. Does it make a difference that they had three times as many beds, hospital beds for population on the impact in that first wave? The evidence suggests it does, but actually somehow we're not looking at that and interested in that issue. No, indeed. It is quite bizarre, isn't it? Um, now, you know, there's going to be a lot about, you know, who said what in which WhatsApp group um, to Boris Johnson about Boris Johnson. And we know that a lot of the time from what we've seen that, you know, that, that, that there was a real, a real urge from him to not lock down both in, you know, March 2020, again in the autumn of 2020, and you did a Zoom meeting with uh, with him, with others, to try and persuade him not to lock down again. There was a whole thing, oh, if only we'd locked down in October, middle of October, not the end of October, November. Oh, you know, everything would have been fine. And then, of course, we locked down again in January 2021. That was when, frankly, I just lost my mind with this government. Um, and again, the same people demanding we lock down again in December uh, 21 as well, uh, and desperate for us to be in lockdown. And weirdly, despite not locking down, and this is weird, we didn't see infections go up. We saw infections peak and go down in exactly the same way as they'd done previously when we had lockdowns. Do you think the KC might ask about that? Yeah, you might look to historical, what we call FARS law, that infections roughly rise symmetrically and fall symmetrically. So as they go up as quick, they fall as quick. And that's what you're talking about, Julia. But also what you're, you're also right is that people are actually saying more about what didn't work. So the tier system didn't work, mass didn't work. In fact, even the chief scientific advisor said lockdowns didn't work because they came too late. And all we have on the table is that we should have locked down earlier and harder. 
And that's the only one issue that people think we should do next time differently. Nobody is prepared to ask the important questions like, why did it go catastrophically so wrong in care homes? And why was there a disconnection between the infections and what was happening in that environment? And therefore, what is the crucial things we can learn lessons for next time? None of that seems to be on the table at the moment. No, indeed. And even... uh... Um, the, the people in charge in Sweden, you know, they, they've said you know, they, they think they made mistakes. They lost a lot of people in care homes and they, they should have made more care, mm-hmm. done more care about people in care homes. But again, you're looking at people being cared for in a care home scenario who, you know, who often, you know, got families at home that, you know, they, they unfortunately, you, you know, you unless you lock everybody in the care home, you're not going to keep COVID out. And again, as we also know, a lot of people would have died in care homes through loneliness, not being allowed to see their families locked away, locked in their bedrooms for weeks on end. I mean, you know, that, that loneliness, as we know, is such a killer as well. Um, Carl, um, I do want to play you just a little clip. We've finally got it of the sort of the longer apology of Boris Johnson um, trying to apologise and, 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 then, and then obviously protesters interrupting. But this is what he had to say. Uh, have a watch and listen. Tell us what you make of it. I understand the feelings of, the, of these victims and their families, and I am deeply sorry for the pain and the loss and the suffering of those victims and and their families. And grateful though I am to the hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers uh, and many other public servants and people in all walks of life who helped to protect our country throughout a dreadful pandemic, I do hope that this inquiry will help to get the answers to the very difficult questions that uh, those victims and those families are, are rightly are asking. Well, he hopes that the inquiry is sort of going to ask a lot of those questions. And we know he's talking about also his statement. There's been something about his statement being leaked. Uh, it's supposed to be published a little bit later. Um, but about... Um, you know, about looking at the harms of lockdown and the like. But again, a lot of people would just be saying, frankly, it's a little bit too late now, isn't it? Well, I, it's very difficult, isn't it, to be put under that pressure and that position. I don't think as Prime Minister you would ever envisage that was what was going to happen in this current arena. I think it's fair to say he went on to say he set up this inquiry and is was frank about it, learning lessons. I don't think it's difficult for people to accept apologies at this moment in time because, you know, it takes time. You have to have an explanation and understanding. And many of the things that went on for people will seem unfair, will seem terrible and didn't work out. I'm particularly the one you mentioned is if you were in a care home and you died alone for me, seems a real important issue that they have to address because I find that something that ethically and morally is not right. And so there are issues that we have to say next time based on we as human beings and our social connectedness mm. at these important times in life shouldn't happen ever again. Absolutely. Just finally, I just want to ask you about these uh, junior doctor strikes coming up later this month and also six days at the start of January. Um, is this going too far? This is the longest strike in NHS history at one of the, as we've discussed so many times, at one of the, the, the diff, most difficult times of the year for the NHS, permanently in crisis, but January is about as bad as it gets. Um, is this the right thing for them to do? Yeah, look, this is a terrible time for a for a strike, and and I appreciate, particularly just after the after the Christmas period, that can be one of our worst times for admissions, and it's a real issue. 
I think this is about a disconnect now between junior doctors and the value and the culture in the NHS. It just is to be able to do this at this time in the serious issues. So the new health secretary, Victoria Atkins, has to get on the phone and say, we're getting back in a room because I think this will cost lives and therefore is we have to have a solution in the next week or two to avert this strike. Welcome back to the show. I'm Julia Hartley-Brewer. You'll be Talk TV. Now, the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson is currently giving evidence as part of two days at the COVID inquiry. He's admitted how sorry he is for the pain uh, and the loss caused uh, during COVID. And he said, unquestionably, mistakes were made. Well, I'm joined right now by Isabel Oakshot. She's Talk TV's international editor. Also, she is the whistleblower of the lockdown files exposing Matt Hancock's and everyone else's WhatsApps after writing, co-writing his uh, basically COVID pandemic diaries as well great to have you here in the studio i know you've got a very very busy day ahead commenting on everything that boris johnson saying also still with us in the studio is benedict spence conservative commentator just to get people up to date let's just play three short clips of what boris johnson has had to say we haven't had anything too sort of substantive yet <laughs> what a surprise it's the covid inquiry what were you expecting people uh, let's have a little listen to what boris johnson had to say with his first apology that i understand the feelings of the, of these victims and their families, and I am deeply sorry for the pain and the loss and the suffering of those victims and and their families. And grateful though I am to the hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers uh, and many other public servants and people in all walks of life who helped to protect our country throughout a dreadful pandemic, I do hope that this inquiry will help to get the answers to the very difficult questions that uh, those victims and those families are, are right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We are asking. Now, he also uh, did say, admit, yes, things could have been done better. Let's hear what he had to say then. Were there things that we should have done differently? Unquestionably, uh, but you know, I would I would struggle to to itemise them all before you now in 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 a, in a in a hierarchy. I'm afraid I think it it would be I'd find it easier uh, to try and explain what happened as we went through. Um, he did also get asked about the UK excess death rate. Uh, asked why the UK had had a relatively high uh, relative uh, excess death rate compared to other European nations. Here's what Boris Johnson had to say about that. The statistics vary, and I think that the, um, every country struggled with a new pandemic. Um, and I think the, the UK, from the evidence that I have seen, was well down the European table and obviously even further down the the world table. Uh, if I had to answer why I think we face particular headwinds, I would say it was 
irrespective of, of government action, uh, we have a, uh, a, an elderly population, extremely elderly population. Uh, we do suffer, sadly, from lots of, of uh, COVID-related comorbidities. And uh, we are a very, very densely populated country, the second most densely populated country in, in Europe. Gosh, there we were, Boris Johnson actually talking about some facts. It's about Oakshaw. Your general impression of what you've heard and seen so far? Well, I think Boris Johnson started the day following a script. He knew he was going to give his routine apology to the victims and everybody does it. And there was a bit of drama at the opening of the inquiry, two bits of drama, actually. We had some protesters um, who would not sit down or behave themselves on instructions from the judge, so they had to be ejected. Uh, and that sort of prompted Boris to go a bit, a bit, a little bit further, I think, with his apology, you know, reaching out and saying he understood how they felt. Uh, we can come to whether or not this inquiry has been over-fixated on the bereaved. Uh, um, and it, ha no, it has been over-fixated. Over the apology was only for those who were bereaved. It was not an apology to everyone else who lost their freedom and think... people who've not had cancer treatment or children with mental health problems or lost their... None of that. No, no you didn't apologise to them. Many people up and down the country would love to hear that alternative set of victims, and it's a very large set of victims of lockdown, better represented... Largely not in their 80s and 90s ..at this well. inquiry. Um, and then the other thing that sort of delayed getting into the substance of it was a pretty ridiculous and waste of time roundabout discussion about whether Boris Johnson had or had not deliberately deleted, that was effectively what the uh, barrister was getting at, a whole raft of WhatsApps. Boris Johnson maintains that he absolutely didn't do that. He's never submitted And he's never heard of, a, of how to factory reset your phone. Um, so once that was cleared up, or not really very cleared up at all, we moved on to the beginnings of the actual questioning. And there's been a bit of discussion about whether or not Matt Hancock is still the, you know, the key villain of this piece. And a little bit unusually, because most of the witnesses so far have lined up to round on Matt Hancock. Oh, he's the scapegoat. He's... Everyone's obviously gone, let's all agree. Yes. Matt Hancock's the guy. So actually, actually, the former prime minister wasn't singing from that hymn sheet. He was saying, you know what? He, ha he had his deficiencies, but he worked very hard, and I thought he was a good communicator. He also made a slightly odd point, I don't know if you picked up on this, about meetings being too male-dominated. Oh, I mean, this narrative. <laughs> I mean, that's politics in general, yeah. I think but, we can but say. There, I'm not but sure there, it is, much there is a point, and one of the things that I think a lot of critis critics of lockdown have made to me uh, is uh, men and women have made this point, that actually it's a lot of you know, middle-aged, anxious men uh, making these decisions, Some certainly in the scientific world, probably somewhere on the autistic spectrum, frankly. People who don't perhaps do relationships, who perhaps don't understand that actually, you know, in the way that perhaps more women perhaps would have, that the importance of family, of social contact, of that social interaction, and therefore keeping people alive, that's what matters, doesn't keep people alive in a life that's worth living. Well, Perhaps certainly the, really the, the largely men who were making those decisions, critical decisions that had a devastating impact on all of our lives, were not those trying desperately to entertain, stroke, educate small children yeah. at home for months on end in high-rise, tiny, pokey apartments. That was just not a world that they could remotely relate to. No, absolutely. And the same with the journalists asking all the wrong questions at the press conferences. Yeah. I've been ranting on about that for, for a number of years and will continue to do so.
You're welcome. Um, but, I mean, the interesting thing is, we know that Boris Johnson is going to be talking at some point because, you know, leaks of his statements and things about how, you know, the inquiry should also be looking at the harms of lockdown. And this is one of the key things that people like you and me and Benedict as well were all talking about pretty early on. I, I wish I'd been asking it earlier, but it was when I had guests on my show talking about domestic violence, talking about uh, people not getting treated to hospital, talking about the impact of lockdown. And that was, you know, People's experiences. Well, hold on, but this is this is insane. This is this is. I always I always campaigned against schools being closed, and indeed, as indeed had the entire government until the day they were closed, um, because of the pressure from the unions and parents who thought that that would save lives, but of course we know it didn't. Um, but but this thing, he says, well, the, the inquiry should look at harms. But but a lot of MPs, campaigners, scientists, and others will say, no, that's what you should have done before you did the lockdown in the first place. There was no cost-benefit analysis of what the actual impact of lockdowns would be negatively. Even if they did save lives from COVID, what would be the cost of them doing? Now, the reason, of course, why pre-pandemic planning in this country and every other Western nation didn't include lockdowns was because it was known that there would be those harms. Indeed, and Boris Johnson was fleetingly asked about that by the uh, QC today, who said, whose responsibility was it to weigh this all up in the round? And he said, well, it was mine. Um, was there anyone else who might have been involved in weighing this up in the round? And Boris Johnson basically said, it was up to individual cabinet ministers to come to me with their concerns about that area, the, the areas that My they represented. They and they were just completely Well, they, they may have done or they may not have done, but the reality was that the structure, the way the government was functioning at that time was there was no locus for anyone who wasn't one of the four most powerful people making the critical lockdown decisions. Everybody else was a sideshow. We know, for example, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, at the time had their concerns. They were very worried about lockdown impacts, but they didn't have a voice. The vast majority of people who might be expected to have a voice because they had cabinet roles in name were frozen out of the process. They were kept on mute during cabinet meetings that were on Zoom, which right. is extraordinary. There were four men who mm -hmm. made decisions. Boris Johnson, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, who was the lone member of the Quad that was making decisions saying, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, and Michael Gove. Yes. Uh, and all of them were very, very heavy lockdown proponents. Those and I never saw certainly. in any of Matt Hancock's communications any concern whatsoever, not just not about the economy, because he might argue that's not his thing, but about the wider health ramifications that saving, protecting the NHS should have meant something much more than stopping a few busy wards at that particular time. And what about and the long term? And anyone who went into hospitals at any time in 28 will vouch for the fact that actually most hospital wards were completely empty. Yeah, I know people who worked in A&E at that time and they literally would have eight people on a Friday night. People were terrified of going in. More children, I believe, more children died um, from extra cases of domestic violence during the first lockdown than died with COVID were healthy children. I mean, that's the sort of level that we were dealing with in terms of just, you know, children just not, not being at risk and yet you know, dying with other things as a result. Um, we've seen the, we've, we've all got the ongoing issue, of course, of, of with the problems in the NHS. Started long before, but still issues. Um, let me let me get to you to some, some updated lines from what Boris Johnson has said while we've been on air. He was asked if um, he, he'd lost confidence in, in people working in number 10. And he said it was a very difficult, very challenging period. People were getting very frazzled because they were frustrated. He said, COVID kept coming at us in wave after wave. and It was very, very hard to fight it. People were doing their level best. And when asked about 
asked on the early implications of COVID. He said, I don't think people computed the implications of that data. It wasn't escalated to me as an issue of national concern until much later. And this is the whole, he didn't attend these COBRA meetings and the like. Right. So we know there's a lot of buck passing. We know there's a lot of, well, they said, well, they said, well, the data said. But you'll also know, because you've looked into a lot of this, you've drilled down into a lot of the data, same as we have on this show, that actually a lot of the time, there wasn't scientific evidence for the decisions that were made. There was a lot of panicking. There were a lot of egos. There was a lot of um, doing what people were demanding look, rather look than what was needed. Look at the case of masks. Look at masks. I mean, it seems to me extraordinary that there isn't a great deal more fuss about the fact that in the course of this COVID inquiry, a number of very senior witnesses have testified that masks made not a jot yeah. of difference, including Dr. Jenny, Jenny Harries, you know, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer. This and is now the woman in charge of our health security. This is agency. astonishing. You know, for 18 months, people were mandated to muzzle themselves, to wear bits of cloth over their face, including school children for month after month. It was a horrible thing that they had to do. And guess what? It was completely pointless. And, and they reason, knew it. For no, some reason, no, no, it wasn't. And now it was covered. They yeah. knew they it knew all it. along and they did yes. it anyway. That is the bit that's unforgivable. I, say, I would say criminal. I would say criminal. Um, look, you've talked about Matt Hancock. Look, there's no doubt at all. I mean, I, I, I hold no candle for this man at all. Um, but, but you know, there's no doubt he's being scapegoated. I think his ego mm. ran away with him. I think the whole I'm master of the universe, I'm in charge of saving lives. I, mm. I think that was an issue for a lot of people working in, in, in the government at this time. But but I do think there is an attempt to scapegoat him. And it's interesting that Boris Johnson is not trying to do that. I think there's been some private conversations and packs personally. But do you feel sorry at all for Boris Johnson? Because when we were told, oh, you know, they're protesters. Now, I'm, I'm, my, my question to my producers in the break was, were they, were they family members of those who were bereaved who were saying that he should have locked down sooner and longer and blah, blah, blah? Or were they people, like from my side of the argument, saying you shouldn't have locked down at all? Because he does kind of get it from both sides. Should we have any sympathy for him, even though, you know, he, he campaigned to be leader of the Conservative Party, he campaigned to be Prime Minister. That's the job. And when you're Prime Minister, you have to make, you know, to, to govern is to choose, and sometimes those choices are hard. So what I would say is that he was very quickly a lone voice in his own administration. You know, it was very, very difficult for him against the ranked masses of every public health body, every one of his senior scientific advisors and his key cabinet colleagues, all of whom, and also all those uh, doom-mongering model, scientific yeah. modellers. It would have taken extraordinary courage, extraordinary leadership qualities, and frankly, an extraordinary appetite for risk for one leader to say, do you know what? I've heard what you're, all of you, every single one of you, I've heard your predictions of doom. And you know what? I'm going to face you down and we're going to go down a different path. Perhaps that was too much. We to need some. I, I, I look back, I think of prime ministers we've had who might have actually been willing to do that. And I think the only one I can think of um, in, in modern era would be Margaret Thatcher. I well, think she had the scientific background, she'd have had the confidence. But again, you say everyone was saying this, until Dominic Cummings spoke to Neil Ferguson with his lunatic predictions of how many people would die. Um, again, no reason to trust this man. If, if, some, if someone tells you it's raining, it's going to rain tomorrow every single day for years, and every single day it doesn't rain when he says it's going to rain, why are you still listening to him? And that's the equivalent of what this man's that scientific pedigree showed us. Um, Pat, if you go back to what Patrick Vallance and Chris Whitty were saying at press conferences and in interviews, until virtually the day before they decided to lock down, they were given the reasons, they did whole presentations, yes. they were graphs telling us why we wouldn't lock down, why you wouldn't bother closing schools, why you wouldn't have you know, this or that policy. They explained why. 
there was not a, why we shouldn't wear masks, there was not a single change in any data or evidence that gave a reason why you would suddenly go, now we, now we lock down. No, I agree with you. And I think that what Boris Johnson needed was just one other person. And that could have been Rishi Sunak, but Rishi wasn't going was to die in a ditch over it. Yeah. He wasn't actually going to you know, carry, the, carry the whole weight of the responsibility with Boris Johnson. And so ultimately, once Boris also had nearly died of COVID, I think the die was cast. Very, very difficult to argue when you've got all your advisors saying, well, look, Prime Minister, look what happened to you. Do you want to uh, condemn many, many other people to be gasping for breath on a, uh, in an intensive care unit? It made him very, very, uh, it weakened his position yeah. quite considerably, I think. I and mean, again, so much of this comes down to sort of to character, to uh, your, your ability to handle these things. Bernard Expense, um, do you feel sorry for Boris Johnson at all? Um, I feel sorry in the sense that he was ill-placed for the role. But as you say yourself, he was the one that put himself into that position. I think you know, anybody can sort of look at him more broadly and say he would have been a very good prime minister if circumstances were different. But the odds on a, you know, a pandemic, the, something like this happening, a national disaster, are never zero. You have to be prepared for that sort of thing. And perhaps he can then turn around and say, well, the apparatus of the state wasn't there, my own administration wasn't there, and I needed that administration yeah. to get me through the door. And he because, was a new prime minister. Yeah, you, maybe you can say all that, but still, if you are going to put yourself in that position, there is every chance that the universe throws you a curveball. That's why most of us don't campaign to be prime ministers. Yeah. We don't want to have to make those decisions. And also, just finally, for you, Isabel, um, is all of this easy to say in hindsight? I don't think it is easy to say in hindsight because, I mean, if you're talking about the arguments that you and I are making, we're not making them in hindsight. We were making them at the time. Was that when was we were so, granny killers? It was so obvious that locking down society was going to have a devastating long-term effect. You don't have to be particularly qualified in Neil Ferguson-type academia to work out that shutting down society is not going to end very also, well. Also, you say, is this just with the benefit of hindsight? Yeah. The majority of people still seem to think that the course of action was the correct one. It should have just been harder. So yeah. it's not like we are this looking back. This is the bit that terrifies me because they're still being told this narrative mm. and they're still being told these lies. Like, oh, we, well, we, our excess death rate's really, really high. No, we're, we're very much middle ranking in and Europe, still actually. Wearing masks, and we're, and, and we're quite a fat country. That, and, we, and also, we had very few deaths in the, in the winter of 2019, 2020, which meant that we had this awful, you know, sort of you know, dry sort of, you know, wood that we had, you know, no, there's an awful, what's that phrase? It's awful that actually there were a lot of people who sadly would have died earlier, mm. but who then unfortunately were more uh, at risk uh, to COVID. I mean, again, those are facts, not feelings, so no one cares about them. Anyway, um, Isabel Ochop, fantastic to have you here. I know you're going to be joining uh, us throughout the day here at Talk TV. Now, I'm asking you what you would ask Boris Johnson if you got the chance, given how rubbish the uh, barristers are at the COVID inquiry. Mary says, he lied to us all. When my mother was dying of dementia, relatives were not allowed to see their loved ones. It's unforgivable. I think we safely say, I know what you'd want to ask there. Susan says, why did you lock down the population over Christmas 2020 after having said it would be inhumane to do so? And why did you remove our freedoms? And Charles said, did he decide to lock down in order to save his political career? How did that work out for him? The Julia Hartley Brewer podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder. Older. Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer podcast from Talk Radio.